the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast that has a little tinker under the hood of the strange and the unexplained. And there's been quite a lot of strange and unexplained in 2020, right, Ben? Uh, yeah, there has. Uh, so this is the second episode of our retrospective look at everything that we have covered, all the people that we have spoken to in the last year. We kind of started this venture around about March 2020 uh, before everything kind of went nuts. So it's really good to kind of go back and we've we have covered an extraordinary breadth of topics and we have met a really staggering array of incredibly interesting people who had a lot of things to say yeah definitely and this bit i was i i I was toying with words like almanac and review of 2020 but basically we're going to play some clips from some of our favorite episodes and talk about them aren't we yeah, I think that's probably the way to put it, yes. As they say, say what you see. Um, yes, or, yes. Or say what you hear. But no, the, I mean, again, when we, we talked a little bit about the the early days and the inception of this podcast uh, and us going, oh, my God, are we going to get uh, anybody listening? And, God, we got we two people have listened, two people have listened. It's amazing. I think we had similar conversations about guests. I think when we first started, we didn't really push to get guests because we thought, well, nobody's going to come on and talk to us. I remember us almost saying that to each other. And yeah, then, absolutely. And then suddenly we did reach out to some amazing people and, uh, yeah, we've had some brilliant guests on and some of those all feature in this one. And talking about amazing people, we've done a number of episodes on remote viewing a remote viewing, I don't know, how would you... Can you post-it note remote viewing, Ben, do you think? Um, Just to put you on the spot. Well, I would say it's the, it's the closest you can get to experiencing the paranormal by sitting in your own house. Yeah. Like, we've got an episode in the bag, which we haven't told you about, which... Uh, blew our minds but also the episodes that we did also blew our minds and i think it's a lot more tangible than like obviously you can uh talk to people who have stories about uh ghostly entities and all of that and all, all of those are completely valid but if you want a really really quick way of proving to yourself that the universe isn't everything that you think it is then remote viewing is absolutely the way because ever since we did our first session and then interviewed daz i've kind of thought about it yeah every day and it's a really strange thing well it's it weirdly it's not we're not gonna we're gonna give you a little teaser of the episode that we've got coming up at the start of next year. So we've got a little teaser that we're going to play you in a minute. Um, But yeah, I agree with you, Ben. Out of all the things we've covered, and we've covered some amazing things and some amazing stories and spoke to some amazing people, remote viewing has just blown my mind. And I think we did, you did it, the first one we did, and it was a look at the US secret psychic spy program called Stargate. 
And we kind of thought that was going to be it, didn't we? And then we had this idea for another episode, which is called Psychic Fight Night, where Ben and I did a number of psychic tests, not just remote viewing, but some other stuff. And we thought, yeah, well, let's just give this stuff a go. And we did a remote viewing target, which Ben just... I think that it was that moment for me, Ben, when you identified and drew pretty much Mount Fuji and I was not... I hadn't told you anything about it, but was looking at a picture of Mount Fuji. So Mm. listen to that episode. We then got Daz Smith on for the third episode we've done on remote viewing, who is, I guess, one of the world leading remote viewers professional yeah. does it for a living yeah uh, well a, a remote viewer and trainer of remote viewers yeah so we interviewed him and that was an incredible interview um uh, and he talked about how he's remote viewed things in all kinds of places space and time and all those kind of juicy targets i guess they'd call them like roswell and jfk assassination and stuff like that fascinating interview so if you haven't heard that go back and listen to that and then it was like we'd gone, oh, I wish we could get somebody who was part of the programme. And we got a fantastic man called Paul H. Smith, who was a major in the US Army and was actually part of this secret military psychic spy programme. And that interview is just fascinating. So go and listen to that. So we thought we'd do one episode. We've done three and we've got a new one coming out on January the 4th. It's going to be our first episode of the year. Basically, Daz Smith, who, as um, Ben said, does train people how to do remote view, set us what they call a blind target. So we knew nothing about the target apart from a code number. And Ben and I separately drew and did a session of drawing and putting stuff down on paper to see what we thought it was. And... Daz came on and revealed how close we've got. Have a listen to this. The only thing that I know is that this num- that this uh, target has a number assigned to it, 0003-1471. And then I got this feeling of blue sky and water. There's emotion locked up in in whatever this structure is. And it feels like there is a a tall window at its highest point. And it feels like it's a light-coloured building. It feels like a large building with, with one part much higher than the others. Your target is 0003-1471. Worship, worship keeps coming to my mind. So this thing's vast, and this thing's there. It's it's massive. It's vast. It's you know, it's the kind of thing. If you were a person, you'd look at it and go, "I'm just in awe of that." Wow, look at that! I then started seeing images of you know that you get those reclining Buddhas, those massive statues. So. <sighs> I don't know if this is right, but I am going to draw a massive kind of human, humanoid figure. So I guess the time has come to... Reveal the truth. Now, neither of us knows what 
the other one's done. And no. neither of us knows if we've got anywhere near or yeah. or completely out. Daz is Daz is in the driving seat. So the target itself. <gasps> oh my god. Oh would that you know what's really interesting about that? Wow. Oh wow. As soon as you just showed me that, I was like, oh my god, yes, of course. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless, Ben. Oh, it's so tempting, Ben, just to kind of <laughs> tell everyone what happened, but we can't do that, can we? No, I, th- I, I don't think it would be useful either because I think you need to listen to the whole thing. You need to listen to the journey that uh, we went on to get to the result that we got and the conclusion that Daz came up with. But what it did make me, well, I I think it did change the way that I think about stuff. Like, because every, all, all the way through when, so as you said, we're both recording ourselves individually, separately at different times, trying to uh, come up with conclusions to his target, Daz's target. And you're not aware of anything you you just kind of you start drawing you start speaking you you come up with different thoughts and feelings about the target and then well, like i described it uh, in in the interview it was like handing in your homework yeah. and then when you get the the marks back yeah. it's it's really quite astonishing and in this one i think you nailed it more than i did we we both had very good results but the things that you are saying during your monologue before we speak to daz it's it is beyond chance it really is beyond chance yeah well let, let's not give too much away but um that episode will be out on January the 4th, 2021. It's going to be our first episode of the year, and we will return to remote viewing after that. It, it, it's a subject that doesn't want to let us go, and we don't want to let it go either. So there will be more remote viewing. And big thank you to Daz Smith, who's been a great supporter of the show and given his time, and to Paul H. Smith as well for talking to us and... Um, saying some nice words about us to the people that follow him as well. So uh, there'll be more. There'll be more remote viewing Smiths and there'll be more remote viewing from me and Ben in 2021. (laughs) Yeah. Like after speaking to those guys, I sort of felt like maybe you have to have Smith as your surname to be good at it. (laughs) Yeah, But like they both gave their time incredibly generously and took the time for two people who didn't know anything about it to really set us on uh, a course where we would, you know, get a good insight into it. And yeah, hugely grateful to them. Hugely. Yeah. And, and actually I'd like to give a mention to, we joined a number of remote viewing groups on Facebook and, you know, they are dedicated to people who are doing these targets and training all the time. And, you know, a couple of us, you know, me and Ben, a couple of 
gobby guys who just come along and know nothing about it and just throw ourselves in they've been very kind and uh, very accepting of us i think in the group so uh, i think if you go back and listen to the episodes it, it does feel like a journey um not just on the topic of remote viewing but a kind of journey of our experience of it and how our views have probably changed on it since we did the first episode right the way through to this one that comes out next year yeah so yeah if you've got time go back listen to all the episodes we've done already um on remote viewing and uh that gives you plenty of time to gear up for the one that comes out in january should we talk about pubs oh wow we're gonna always talk about pubs yeah how long you got this episode could be about eight hours if we get going <laughs> on about pubs um we did uh, an episode on the top 10 haunted pubs in the UK and there were some great stories in there. Uh, but another kind of running theme that we've had during the podcast is about haunted animals that you don't really see so much of that. You have ghosts. We There's, a, there's quite a few haunted horses and carriages that came up in our top 10 haunted pubs episode. Um but have a have a listen to this. It's 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 Ben and I talking about what kind of animals we'd like to see uh, come back as ghosts. Uh, and this is another pub that uh, apparently uh, people have heard the clattering of hooves and carriages, ghostly uh, horses and carriages again. So that seems to be a regular theme. Which kind of made me think, because you, you know, you, you, I know you've got an obsession with seeing a haunted dinosaur. Mm, I do, would a, yeah, would, yeah. Would a would a horse cut it for you, or, or not exotic enough? Maybe, maybe like a really ancient horse. Yeah, I, I've, I was thinking I'd quite like to see a haunted dodo. Oh yeah, yeah, like sort of. Apropos nothing really, but uh, I learnt the other day that horse, horses and squirrels are on the same evolutionary uh, branch, and right. they they descend from <laughs> the same the same ancestor. So I think, like at one point, there were giant squirrels what, going like biggest, around, big as horses. Yeah, as big as horses. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd quite like to see that. I I, uh, could, I could see them on the evolutionary branch, not on a literal branch. Though. No, no, not a literal <laughs> branch. No, 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 no. But they were carnivorous as well, oh. so it'd be quite good to ride an ancient <laughs> ghost horse squirrel. That's that would be like that would be proof for me. You're listening to the Quantum Mechanics, the podcast that gives you insight into the paranormal and the strange and the unexplained. <laughs> <laughs> And also the evolutionary history of the horse. I've become a convert to your way of thinking, Ben. I think in that clip I said I wanted to see a ghostly dodo, but I'm I'm definitely on the dinosaur train now. Oh, yeah, it would be good, wouldn't it? Like, a a ghost dinosaur would be amazing. And, And there are people who, like, I've been saving this for an episode which I'm working on for next year, but there are people who have seen dinosaurs in in current times. Well well we've got we've got a clip of Ruth Roper Wild coming up in, in in a little while, but 
she also gave her theory that, you know, could the Loch Ness Monster be a ghost dinosaur? Which oh, right, yeah. Something we've yeah. not thought about. But, um, yeah, yeah. Well, as you know, when we're not in lockdown, Bed and I normally record in a haunted pub. We do. We've not really had much time to be there. However, we did have a little break uh, in between being in lockdown where we managed to get into the pub and spend a night there looking for the pub studio ghost. Have a little listen to this. Yes, we're back in our spiritual home and spiritual in both senses of the word. This is the pub where we started our recording before the world went nuts and even more nuts even more nuts <laughs> yeah uh we're back and uh we have been granted permission to spend the night here to see if we can uncover the otherworldly inhabitants or inhabitant of uh this pub and yeah we thought it would make a great episode to see we've always we've always built it as the podcast that comes to the haunted pub so let's see if we can see who's haunting it, right? Put it, putting our beer money where our mouth is, right? Um, but the pub uh, that we're in, called the Cross Keys, um, apparently, and I only learnt this today because I thought, oh yeah, well, what is that about? Uh, it's a symbol of uh, Peter, not you, but Saint okay. Peter, one of the disciples. Know me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was one of Jesus's first followers. And um, I didn't, again, didn't know this. Apparently he was crucified upside down. And um, he is pictured in lots of paintings as having uh, keys in his hand because he holds the keys to heaven. Ah. And so the cross keys, those buildings tended to have deeply religious roots. Uh, But we've had our first weird experience of the night. So we've recorded, we recorded our intro... Uh, with a few facts, uh, and like I said, we're going to get. We were planning to get Trudy on right now. Uh, we've just gone back and reviewed what we've recorded. I was recording onto uh, a little portable player called a, an H5 uh, Zoom, and Ben was recording directly into his laptop. Uh, and we've listened back to the stuff that we recorded. And Ben, your laptop seemed to stop recording halfway through our thing and it, I, I was watching you you were nowhere near it you didn't touch it weird. i didn't touch it no no it's it's very weird and slightly frustrating frustrating because uh i did it all in one take and you know <laughs> I, I think it was interesting and we'll uh we'll get trudy the current landlady uh, of our uh, pub studio to uh, to come and have a chat with us and tell us about a bit of history of the building and uh, the ghost that lives here. Uh, the ghost that shows herself to me uh, came to this building in 1921 uh, as a landlady. And uh, she ran the pub for 35 years. And so when when did you first know that there was there was a presence here did you feel it did you see it there was there an incident that first happened yes so uh me and my husband were coming here just to uh run the pub for four weeks and uh we still wanted to see what we were what we were letting ourselves in for so we came up to view the pub to see where we were staying 
And as we went up into the accommodation, uh, there was a, a lady that I saw sitting on a sofa in what was the sitting room at the time. Uh, I w- so we came from, away from the accommodation. We went back home, which we were living in London at the time. And then I said to my husband, there was, there's a ghost in the, in the pub. And uh, just left it at that. But we wouldn't, I, I knew that we were coming up to stay there for four weeks. So when we came up the week after to, to come for four weeks, to temporarily come to this pub, um, as we were standing at the bar on the night before we were going to be taking it over... There was a one photograph on the bar, a black and white photograph. And as I was looking at it, I said to my husband, I said, that lady in that photograph, that's the lady that was upstairs. <laughs> the first few nights we came here, I was left on my own, funny enough, because my husband was still, had his job, he was working elsewhere. So I was one left on my own in the flat with the dog uh, to lay on a blow-up bed just in one of the rooms. And in the night, um, <laughs> the dog got up to, I don't know what she did, she just went down the hallway and I got up to just see where she was. And as I got up, I then sensed this presence again uh, and she was just asked, just telling me that she was just waiting for a cup of tea. You know, I've, I've, I have had a chat to her tonight and I'm hoping that she's going to um, appear in some way. I'm trusting she she will may sit there for a while, but I'm I'm sh- I'm sure she will show something. So yeah, well we've just had a really weird experience. It's about twenty past one. We were just setting up to record with Trudy, the landlady, just to ask her a bit about. We're now sitting in the main bar in the corner where a lot of the activity. Uh, goes on and there are beer mats all over the ceiling and literally where we were setting up the mic one has just fallen onto the floor right by our feet nearly hitting the microphone Uh, and it's just lying there very peculiar before we press record a beer mat fell from the roof is that a regular occurrence or do you think that that is her making herself known don't get me wrong, they have fallen off before, but I find that, I think that was done on purpose tonight. Okay. But I, you know, they, they can fall off occasionally, but where it has fallen and the timing, I don't, I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, because it's fallen exactly next to where we're sitting. Yes. As we're talking about her. Yes. So, we, the reason that we went after tr- trying to find the ghost of Mrs. Tipple is, I think it's like a product of the fact that um, we had this studio in this amazing place. And because we weren't forced to do uh, the this remote recording that we are now, because it was pre-COVID times, um, we got really into... Uh, the the landlady's stories about the ghost and what it did and it just became such a a compelling reason to go back as soon as we were allowed to and and see if we could find any evidence of her 
and I think the jury's out, but it was it was not uneventful. Well, I kept thinking back again. We'll we'll get on to Ruth Roper World in a minute, but Ruth Roper World came on after we'd done that episode uh, to talk about uh, her books. And again, she said, "Look, I go on. I can go on a ghost hunt to somewhere, and I can go seventy times in a row and see nothing until the seventy-first time, or see nothing at all." Mm. But you know, it wasn't like he couldn't make a movie out of it. But no, we did have weird stuff happening with equi- with the equipment. Yeah, we did have the mats. The beer mat. The beer mat was odd, I must say. It didn't yep. feel like a pure coincidence. There was something about that. Mm. I I had a, a phantom pinching, but I think it was just cramp, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, what, I, what I do like about <laughs> that episode, if you've not heard it, <laughs> that Ben and I get more slurry as the evening goes on <laughs> after we've had a little bit more to drink. I I remember trying to edit the audio and there were there, there were bits right at the end where we were just incoherent. You could make head and a tail of what we were saying. Yeah, there's probably a good reason why major broadcasters don't have bars yeah. right next to their studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when we when we were recording in the pub, we did tend to record kind of on a Sunday lunchtime or, you know, we didn't really record that much in the evening. So the, <laughs> I think we learned our lesson. Although, to be honest, we did arrive at the pub about 8 o'clock at night and we did leave about 4 in the morning. So, yeah, you know, it was understandable. But um, I really enjoyed the night. I know, Ben, there was a bit of you that wanted a kind of a scene from Ghostbusters and all we got was a kind of floppy beer mat. But it, I, it, I enjoyed the night and I think there was something there. Oh yeah, no, it was a fantastic night, and I got to say the XT4 was a lovely ale. There you go. That's that's your product placement for the day. Um, well, let's move on. We've mentioned her a couple of times. Ruth Roper Wild, another great guest that we had on. Um, Ruth, fantastic author of. I guess she she recants packages rewrites people's real life simple ghost stories right yeah and and keeps a database of them all i think that's important as well of and and i like i liked in uh when we interviewed her she said look i keep this database it's not i don't kind of investigate them all i just i'm interested in working out what areas and where stuff is happening let's have a quick listen to ruth who uh, was giving us a story from, I think it's from her new book that's not not out yet. So um, she's given us a little bit of a tease of one of the things that's in her new book. It's a really scary story about a man changing a light bulb in a nuclear power station. I've actually got dozens of counts where it's quite menacing and has actually genuinely frightened the person who experienced it. And funny enough, I was just interviewing somebody earlier this week for book number five. Um, and his experience happened well, at least 20 years ago. And even now it makes him shudder to talk about it. And he was um, a apprentice electrician at the time. Um, you know, one of his first jobs after leaving school sort of thing. So he, the company that he worked for was doing a, a contract for 
Wilfer Power Station in Wales. And he, because he was the apprentice, he was given, obviously, you know, the easiest tasks to do, which at that point they were doing their monthly checking and changing all the light bulbs. Because obviously with it being a power station, you know, health and safety, all the exit lights and all everything, everything had to work perfectly at all times for safety reasons. Um, so he had been sent down to this particular room um, to change the, the light bulbs in the safety exits and what have you. And he described it as a, a long rectangular room with the door at one end. And then at the far end, there was a fire door out of the building, which obviously was alarmed and kept shut. And when he opened the, the door to go into the room, he couldn't find the light switch to switch the lights on. So the room was in darkness. So he crossed the whole length of the room in darkness, decided he'd start with the bulbs nearest the fire exit so he could prop open the fire exit door to let a little bit of light into the room so he could see what he was doing. So he opened the fire exit door, propped it open, bent down to his tool bag to get out some bulbs to put in his pouch so he could then go up his stepladder to do the bulbs. And as he bent down, somebody tapped him on the shoulder. So he turned around to, sort of stood up, turned around to see who had come in to speak to him, only to find himself facing a lady in clearly um, ancient dress, you know, sort of Victorian style dress, frilled at the neckline with grey hair pulled back in a bun the whole apparition was in shades of grey it it lasted only a, a couple of seconds as he stepped back in horror and she faded away from the ground upwards in front of him um and she had she didn't have proper eyes she just had black spaces where the eyes should be he said the weird thing was she was smiling at him and the smile itself was not at all threatening. It was quite a kindly, pleasant smile. But overall, the experience absolutely terrified him, as you can imagine. Yeah. So he did finish and change the light bulbs, which I think was incredibly brave of him. But because he was an apprentice and <laughs> you know knew at the job, he was scared he'd get into trouble if he didn't. But he legged it out of there. And, and you know the first comment somebody said to them when they got out of there was, you look like you've seen a ghost. And, and he said, I think I just have. <laughs> and he never, ever, in all the years working since then, he never, ever went back in that room alone voluntarily. Oh, that is a chilling story, Ben, right? That, that There's something about that story that's just, whoa. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like, I... So I think, you know, we've never made a... Um, uh, we know made a secret of the fact that uh, we both work in television and sometimes television requires you to work late into the night. And I've been in big empty buildings when uh, I, you know, I can't leave because I've got some responsibilities and it hasn't always, it hasn't always been pleasant, but Oh my God, that would be terrifying. Yeah, but yeah. but let 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 me tell you this is something that I didn't bring up at the time but um I suppose it yeah it would be about 10 years ago now I was um working at a major public service broadcaster that um is is where I met you and um they had a number of 
large buildings in the middle of London. And I was working on a project which took us late, late into the night, like into the early hours of the following morning. And there was like three of us staffing what we were doing. And the building itself is um, the one we were in is built on the site of uh, a, a very famous old London prison, which was notorious for its treatment of inmates and was locked down in the middle of the 19th century. And you know how it is. There's a lot of waiting around in television and there's a lot of waiting for the key points. And I suppose it was about two in the morning. And as I say, there was myself and a couple of other people. And um, we've got like pizzas and Coca-Colas and all of that. And we're just waiting to wrap up this thing that we we've been working on all night and we're in like a really big room like a really big room and because it's 10 years ago you know you can't do this from home there is you don't have the um capacity on your own home broadband or anything like that you have to do it from the 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 office and where we are is it has automatic lights so it senses movement so there's there's the lights are all on on the three of us and we're concentrating on what we're doing and then all of a sudden about you know the other side of the room some lights start coming on and they come on and they come off and there's flickering and stuff and we're all like convincing ourselves that oh no this is this is fine but we couldn't get it out of our heads that there was something peculiar going on. And then a couple of days later, after we'd had our rest and stuff, came back into the office and um, I mentioned this because obviously I have a penchant for ghosts and the paranormal. And uh, I mentioned this to an office manager and and I was fully expecting them to say something like, oh, yeah, there's, you know, there's the phantom of this spirit. And he went, oh, no, there's, it's mice. It's mice. <laughs> and it, it turns out that the full explanation was, yeah, there's mice in the building and they run around and set off the lights. <laughs> and it was a very, very disappointing paranormal uh, encounter. But, uh, yeah. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> Well, talking of mice, I think we should talk about the creator of Mickey Mouse. Ah, Mr. Walt. Yeah, I I couldn't resist that segue. Um, We did an episode called World's Scariest Theme Parks. uh, When we, uh, I'm sure we've had a few listens of that one, which people think we're reviewing rides on the theme. Part. We, probably, <laughs> we probably should have named it a little bit better but you know I, we haven't been done false advertising when we say scariest we meant they've all got some kind of ghostly presence but uh, my favorite story uh, is one that involves Walt Disney have a listen to this it's an amazing story it's a it, it's about the ghost of Walt Disney oh yeah 
And I, I, I have heard this story before, but I, I, I've dug a little bit deeper about it. And it's an incredible tale. So, um, so construction of Disneyland in California began in July of 1954. Uh, and incredibly, it only took them a year to build the park. So it, it, I think it opened... I think the part the work on it began on July sixteenth, nineteen fifty four, and it opened on like July seventeenth, nineteen fifty five. That's so, incredible. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, um, and obviously it was it was, you know, Walt Disney had done all these amazing films and stuff like that, and it was it was a big kind of pet project of him. And yeah, I mean, I guess you can argue lots of things. He kind of led the way, really, in not inventing theme parks but certainly inventing how they probably work today um and the kind of atmosphere so while they were building the park walt wanted a place that he could stay when he visited the property um so what he did was had a small apartment uh built about i don't if anyone's ever been to Disneyland not necessarily in California I think they kind of use a similar format wherever it is whether it's Disneyland Paris or whatever there's always a kind of main street which has lots of stuff going on Uh, and they have what they you know like a firehouse or whatever there so in California in Disneyland California Walt Disney's apartment was built above the firehouse now interestingly uh and it reminded me a bit like you know like when the queen's in buckingham palace they have the kind of flag Mm. up so you kind of know she's there well when walt was visiting the park um he would leave a lamp on in the window of the apartment so staff would know that he was in there um i guess so nobody had kind of either disturb him or or just a general you know i'm here and i'm i'm in the apartment right um, and after Walt Disney died, uh, as a tribute, they'd leave the light on when the park was open. Mm. So it was a kind of tribute to him. Uh, and, it, and in true kind of theme park style, special guests could book, you know, exclusive tickets, which included a chance to have a look at the apartment that, you know, Walt Disney had put into the park and would often use. Um, and there's this really spooky story. So after one of these visits, a cast member turned the light off when she left. So she'd done like the last tour of the day. It was an hour of the night. <clears throat> Visitor gone. She turns the lamp off, heads down back to Main Street in, in the park. When she got outside, she noticed that the light light had turned itself back on. So she went, okay, that's weird. So she went back up, switched it off for a second time, and when she went back down, the light was back on again. Hmm. On the third time, it said that she went up to the apartment, unplugged the lamp from the mains, and headed down once more. And again, when she got outside, she looked up and the lamp had come back on again. So she went back up to the apartment one more time and as she entered the apartment, she heard a spooky voice say, I'm still here. Huh. Wow. 
Did he do it in the style of Mickey Mouse? I don't know. I don't know what voice he used. It, it probably wouldn't be as scary, though, would it? I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That would have me. Um, yeah, that's pretty freaky. But I thought that's such a such an interesting, intriguing story. Yeah, it is. Just, you know, you could see, you know, this this idea. So I, I think that the the end of the story is now apparently. And again, there are a lot of people who are more obsessive about Disney than than us. But uh, apparently now the lamp is left on all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's a permanent tribute, and you know, uh, almost almost uh, to not engage any more spooky activity. Love that story, Ben. I love that story. It's just simple, yeah. and I love it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And, like, if you were Walt, of course you'd try and keep the light on. Of course you would. Yeah, yeah, it seems very... And uh, we did um, we we did feature him in an episode that we we're going to talk about a little bit later on, Fairies as well, because he was a member of uh, the Fairy Investigation Society, I believe. Yeah, correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, was, yeah, yeah. It, interesting, but... Um, Good episode that one. World's scariest theme parks. There's some really good ghost stories in there, but I, I, that, I think that's that's one of my favourite stories that we've covered this year. The uh, that one. Should we move yeah. from mouses, mices, to mongooses? <laughs> I hate those mongooses to pieces. Yeah, and and another just lovely, fantastic guest that we had on Christopher Joseph. He. Oh. Was a gentleman. Well, a gentleman, I think, is a really good word. Uh, who wrote the definitive book on Jeff, the talking mongoose. So I know it's one of your favourites, Ben. So I, I think I think in the clip we're going to play, uh, Christopher does give us a little background on Jeff, but it, it was a sensation, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was, absolutely, yeah. And and still a complete unsolved mystery to this day. So we're going to play you uh, a little bit of Christopher Joseph talking uh, about his book that he started to write on this amazing tale of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Uh, he thought he was going to spend something like a year on it and seven years later he'd just become completely obsessed. Uh, <laughs> we've also uh, we've had a few exchanges with him uh, because I also had a weird dream after we did this episode about Jeff the Talking Mongoose uh, and a band called Chaz and Dave. So uh, we put that story in there as well. So there's a bit of background on Jeff and a bit of uh, what happened to me afterwards. Have a listen. So I think for our listeners, there's probably... The, there'll be a, a bunch of people that have never heard of it uh, and probably think that the phrase Jeff the Talking Mongoose is sort of slightly ridiculous. And there'll be a bunch of people, which includes me before I read your book, who had assumed that it was just a case of a child who was who was messing around and that, that's how it came about. But what I'd quite like to do is just talk to you about how this case 
grew. So my understanding is that it all starts in September 1931 and around the Irving family. Um, yes, you're right. It, it began in autumn 1931 uh, at a very remote farmhouse in the very rural part southwest of the Isle of Man. Uh, this farming family called the Irvings, I say farming family guardedly because they weren't traditional Manx farmers. They'd actually come from Liverpool and moved uh, some years before uh, to set up as farmers on, on what seems to be a whim. Uh, they weren't particularly successful. In fact, by the time that this Jeff phenomenon began, they were living in abject poverty. And what seems to have happened is either the daughter who was 12 at the time, her name was Vori, that's Manx version of Mary, mm -hmm. or her father James, one of the two saw a little animal in the yard, uh, a little animal about 12 inches long, a bit like a weasel or a stoat. Or, and stories vary, they, they heard some noises from behind, uh, behind the walls. And gradually, it seems that this thing first began to imitate their voices, uh, and then it quite rapidly developed human speech. This this is according to the Irving's own account. Yeah. Um, and it should be pointed out that by far the greatest uh, evidence, that the majority of the evidence we have is from James Irving, the father, who tended to dominate proceedings and he was very obsessed with this case and he wrote reams and reams of diaries and letters which which is what's the bulk of what's in the uh, the Jeff file in the Harry Price library um, so initially yes this was just a little animal that they occasionally saw but mostly heard talking in a high-pitched voice uh, supposedly two octaves higher than a human voice uh, then word began to spread down at the village. Uh, it sort of became the talk of the neighbourhood. And then once it spread to England uh, and a Manchester journalist sent over to investigate, then it really took off. And it was funny because we, I think we described, I think it was in the episode title, it was about one writer's obsession because... He told us that, you know, he, he'd meant to spend a year or so just researching and writing the book and ended up uh, spending seven years on it. And the other thing is, I think in the description of it, I, I wrote something like, once you let Jeff into your life, he kind of buries his way into your head <laughs> and yeah. your heartstrings. Yeah. Uh, and weirdly, last week... <laughs> I had an example of that, which is really strange. So I was in bed and I didn't know it, but I was dreaming. You know when you have those dreams when you're, you think you're awake and you feel you're in your room and everything's normal? So <laughs> I, was, I was dreaming and I could hear this rustling noise, right, that I thought was real. And I was like, God, there's something, there's something in the room. There's something in the corner of the room guess what it was i thought oh my god there's a small animal in the corner of the room now <laughs> we've mentioned on previous episodes that our um 
cultural references do go back a little bit. So in my dream, which I thought was real, I thought the way I'll scare this thing... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing about it already. Was to sing a Chaz and Dave song. So, <laughs> so for those of you who are outside the UK <laughs> or uh, or young, <laughs> Chaz and Dave were this kind of I don't know how you describe Cockney kind of funny bands. Uh, very talented musicians, apparently, but um, no novelty yeah. band. I would probably say, yeah, okay. Um, and they had this song called Gercher. So I decided that the way to kind of scare off this, which it felt to me at the time in the dream, was a kind of entity, but a small animal entity. Obviously, I had Jeff running through my brain um, subconsciously to sing Gercher. So I sing out. Uh, when the kids are swinging on the gate. <laughs> and then this little Jeff-like mini voice came back. When the paper boy is half an hour late. <laughs> and I just completely freaked out because I thought I was awake. And then I managed to wake out of my dream. It was the most surreal thing. And I was terrified when I woke up. Wow. So, like, he has really gotten into your psyche so if you're uh if you're outside the uk you may not have a clue who Chaz and dave are uh but give them a google google a song called gercher which is a kind of cockney kind of pubby sing-along ditty is that a good? How's that description? Do you like that description, Ben? Does that? Yeah, work? I think Ditty. I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah, Ditty is um, good. Yep, yeah. and uh, <laughs> we, uh, myself and Ben and Christopher Joseph, have been going backwards and forwards about the fact that I had this dream about uh, Chaz and Dave and Jeff, and uh, he rewrote some of the lyrics to Gertrude on twitter so uh I'll, I'll i'll repost that again. Go to our Twitter page, have a little look down our our feed. Uh, so follow us on Twitter at TQM Podcast and you'll be able to see uh, the fantastic rework of the Chaz and Dave classic lyrics to Gertrude, but done for Jeff the Mongoose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a bizarre story, Jeff, isn't it? It just it does get into your head in a weird way. Oh yeah. Well I think the main thing about it is that um because it's unsolved and because it's so enigmatic it your brain races i think that's probably the the thing about it yeah yeah it 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 runs away with itself i think another interesting thing that uh in that interview with christopher joseph about jeff he talked a lot about the that time period and the paranormal around that time period right and uh which kind of leads me on to another episode we did which uh, i really enjoyed doing and kind of doing the research on and that was uh houdini on harry houdini mm-hmm. the psychic private investigator and houdini's i guess mission to try and find out the truth depends on your point of view to find find out the truth of the paranormal or to try and disprove the paranormal and I think I was listening to the whole episode 
when I was uh, pulling out a little clip of it. And it's really interesting, and you can look at it from different points of view. Um, but there, he certainly did devote a lot of time and energy, and there's some marvellous stuff about his relationship with Sherlock Holmes, author Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as well. I like that episode, Ben, I really do. Mm. Yeah, me too. Let's have a quick listen to uh, a clip from Houdini. I suppose the modern-day Houdini might be James Randi, who famously offered the huge cash prize for anybody who could um, prove psychic uh, or paranormal abilities in a lab condition. And that prize, uh, although it's offered to this day, has been um, untaken. And there's two ways of looking at it. One is that uh, nobody uh, can do it. Or the other way of looking at it is that... Uh, the people who can do it are not motivated by by that cash prize and don't wish to put their heads above the parapet. Well, I think there's a third way as well, you know, and going back to Christopher and Jeff again and going back to Ruth Roper Wild, I just I keep thinking about her 50 times going to a haunted place and not seeing anything and then you'll get mm. something. It's like maybe this stuff just does happen rarely. Mm, mm. And that yeah. some people are more in tune with it than others, but it still happens rarely. So it's very clear that Houdini, although he was a massive sceptic, there's more to his story than meets the eye. And I don't know, there's there's a thing about uh, he protested he protesteth too much right and yeah i he's a, he's on a very very interesting journey where he is but on the the flip side so he was always trying to disprove psychics and spiritualists and i think he probably had a very personal reason for doing so and yet on the other side, we spoke to a spiritualist and psychic healer who was so very genuine and had some very interesting points to make about, uh, you know, the, the whole world of that. And like, we always try and come at this from a, uh, a dispassionate point of view but it's very, very hard to not be swayed by people who have structure. It's not just such strong beliefs, but also uh, obvious results. And I think this was one of those people. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Have a listen to this clip. This is Sue telling us about how she first realised she had a psychic gift. So... How old were you when you first realised that you could do things that other people couldn't? Uh, well, I was 13. And um, in those days, uh, we very few of us had a telephone, believe it or not. And um, I was using a telephone box in a village near here. And uh, I was phoning a friend. And suddenly, I could see down the end of the phone. And I could see 
everything. And I'd never been to this house, never. It was in Great Missenden. I didn't even know where Great Missenden was, actually. And um, I could see the whole house. I could see the carpets, the colours, the furniture, the, everything. The clock on the mantelpiece. I can see it now because it was such an extreme experience. And um, that became a bit of a party trick, actually. After I, I'd realised I could do this, I, I would try it. You know, I was 13, so it was an amazing party trick. So, um, and then that developed... Uh, as I got older, I, I got married, and we were. And I'm jumping a long way ahead, but um, I, I would, uh, for example, make a phone call and buy things out of the paper because, as a newly married person, we didn't have much money. We're buying things secondhand, and it'd be my party trick to say to my husband, "Oh, I can see this guy or whoever." And when we get there, it'd be exactly that person. You know what I mean? So I, I knew my third eye was very active and I could definitely see it at a distance. But I didn't realise it was going to be of any use to me whatsoever at that point. So, yeah, Ben, while I was listening to that, I was thinking about what you were saying about the kind of comparisons with Houdini and the interview we did with Sue, Spirit Healer. And I think I think you make a good point that, Again, you know, as we've been on this journey, we've interviewed a number of people where other people might go, oh, they must be crazy, right? Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's a prepper or whether it's somebody who's doing remote viewing or whatever and saying, well, no, I kind of went back in time and did this, you know, or or, or Sue kind of helping people who, who... are dead or whatever they are pass over or or go somewhere else it's like and that's the thing that struck me about interviewing all these different people they are just normal genuine people who are you know it's not this vision of somebody in a kind of dark cloak going da da do you know what i mm. mean or satanists mm-hmm. or whatever they're just just normally people who are into this stuff and and have realised they can do certain things. That's kind of it, really. And that's been a surprise for me, I think. Not that I was expecting a real stereotypical opposite, but you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. No, 100%. And, again, it comes down to, like, there's no good reason for them to lie. And the people who come to them for their services, I don't... I really don't think they're being duped. There is... There's more to it than that it's a more complex relationship and it's interesting that like i suppose the 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 commonly held belief in the world is that um you know all psychics are cold readers all spiritual healers are charlatans but that doesn't hold true when you speak to the people who have been on the other side of it. Mm. Obviously, there are charlatans in yep. that space. Yep. But what's interesting for us on our journey and for the point of this show is when that doesn't hold true and it doesn't hold true consistently for the practitioners who people are subscribing to, then you have to ask yourself like what is what what is the truth and what is happening and it it takes you deeper into the mystery of 
what are these people's abilities where does it come from and i you know as i always come back to it's the nature of the universe right yeah yeah absolutely and i think you're right and i think i think we concluded that with the houdini thing it's almost uh you know it's like well the analogy i think i made in that episode was about wrestling you know what i mean you've yeah. got the big big bucks massive pay-per-view wrestling events which are kind of choreographed and are just kind of drama and entertainment but then you've got you know college kids in the states and the olympics and stuff like that where it isn't so everything's not the same you know what i mean it's not always coming from the same point of view yeah agreed agreed yeah i I think you're right i think those i think if you're going to most of our episodes you can probably just dip in and out of. I would listen to those two, the Houdini and the Spirit Healer one, back-to-back, actually. That's probably a good way to listen to them because yep. it will give you a real broad perspective on views and thoughts about the paranormal. Absolutely. And I, and I think the thing about this is, like, when we started this project, our whole aim was not to try to convince anybody either way. I think we were both really upset and disgruntled with um on the one side you have uh broadcasters and podcasters who just accept everything at face value and don't question it and before you know it they're extolling the virtues of um having lunch on the dark side of Venus every Thursday and then on the other side You've got the people who, uh, you, you know, just come at it from a pure science and in inverted commas, and this can't ever be true. And we always said we would take that middle ground. And part of taking that middle ground is listening to the evidence and making your own mind up. And if you, whichever side of the fence you fall when you hear these people talk, it's fine. Just you don't need to uh, make a point about it and get offended that somebody has another point of view. The whole point about it is that they are very, well, I use that word again, they're esoteric and peculiar scenarios. I don't think we've spoken to anybody that we think is lying or making it up. And you might say, well you know you're gullible and these people are taking you for a ride but when you go down to it you have to ask why why would they do that why would they give up their time to talk about something which is particularly peculiar and let the whole world listen in on those views and again i'm not saying that all these people are completely uh i i'm not just saying oh yes we we only talk to people who are telling the truth but i would say you have to present evidence to why they're not telling the truth and yeah. and or that what, or what they believe is the truth and what they believe is the truth. the truth but they i do genuinely think that all the people we've talked to believe what they say whether it's absolutely absolutely and they present compelling evidence each of them presents compelling evidence with what they're doing and that's independent evidence it's evidence from people 
whose lives they've impacted. And when we go back to our very first couple of episodes with Nikki, who, you know, she is a self-professed non-believer until some peculiar things happened. And so I think the whole point of this series and this show is to keep an open mind and just weigh up the evidence and what it is these people are saying and you know just just think could it possibly be true if they think it is yeah yeah agree i agree although i'm slightly worried that i might be gullible because somebody online sold me a two-for-one lunch voucher for lunch on the dark side of uh, venus oh <laughs> well you should take them up on it i mean yeah. i'm sure it'll be delicious yeah 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 <laughs> no but do that go back listen to houdini and the spirit healer they're the episodes they're a really good balance uh they balance each other out really nicely i think that would be my tip that's your starter and then your main um halloween a halloween special i tell you what i really enjoyed making that halloween special oh we yeah had, it was good yeah it was got, real we, fun we uh we got hero on who uh runs a website called uh or set up a website who called muddy stilettos which uh go check that out it's amazing there's lots of things to do in the countryside around uh, the uk and places to visit so check out their website we got ruth rope a while back to tell some more fantastic ghost stories we just had a nice halloween night didn't we where it was just didn't really do go into much detail we just kind of told ghost stories which was very good fun oh yeah it was super cozy it was really cozy and uh hero from muddy stilettos had this amazing story about uh when she was driving with one of her cousins and kids uh in the car have a listen to this just before we stop talking about car, ghosts that jump into cars, Hero, you you had an experience, didn't you, with um, one of your uh, cousins with a ghost in the car? I did, I did, yeah. And I, I've got to say, it's the first kind of direct experience I ever. Well, not yes, I suppose it is a direct experience I ever had with a with a ghost. Um, she came down to see me, my cousin from York, from Yorkshire. She had a couple of young children in the back of the car with her. I think they were sort of three and four, so very young. And um, we're just driving around and uh, the four-year-old sort of pipes up. Uh, she says, um, Mummy, you know, Mummy, um, who's Uncle Pip? And uh, my cousin kind of looks at me. She kind of looked a bit, she was like, oh, um, it was grandma's or her grandma, mine and her grandma's, her great-grandma's, the little girl's um, ex-husband. But, the, but uh, Uncle Pip had died many years before and so it really wasn't something they discussed the kid wouldn't know that name um at all so I could see she was a bit surprised and she she sort of turned around and she said oh you know why are you asking and the, the little girl she just my niece just said um oh well it's just he's sitting next to me in the car and um he just said he wants you to know uh that um that grandma is um, is well and happy and wow. Wow. And um, so, yeah, it was absolutely mind-boggling. My my cousin just sort of swerved off the road and slammed on the brakes. And uh, we sort of looked at each other. And, it, yeah, just absolutely extraordinary to kind of have that, you know, on a on a sort of A road in Oxfordshire, really. 
That is a cracking story, that Ben. Actually, <laughs> it's a really good story. <laughs> it's it's one of those where, again, it's a bit like you know the thing we were saying with Nikki. It was like we didn't know that she'd have a great ghost story. She said she had a couple of stories. Thought, okay, yeah, no, it's going to be. I saw, you know, I saw a kind of weird floating white thing in the back garden but no it was just that came out it was like oh my god that's just amazing yeah agreed agreed and uh and ruth was great as well she had some great stories but you kind of expect ruth to because she looks out for them but she had some great experiences or interesting experience and um happened to you i wanted to mention uh uh one of our listeners at this point who dropped us a note which was was really sweet and it may be something for Ruth to look into so uh we got something from a guy called Sean Green who said he liked the Ruth app he said hey guys I discovered your podcast after going for a walk from Chinna to Radnidge there is a large abandoned house in Radnidge in fact there are many abandoned houses in the local area anyway this particular house is intriguing because of its size and the fact there is a moss covering a car in the grounds After the walk, I jumped online and tried to find out some history of the house, but I failed to find anything. However, I did succeed in finding an interview with Ruth Roper Wilde, where she spoke about local ghost stories and briefly mentioned Radnidge. I then jumped onto her Twitter page to discover a retweet from that very day, 7th of September, to say that she would be featuring on the latest episode of a podcast called The Quantum Mechanics. So lucky for me, I searched for your podcast and immediately downloaded the latest episode. I went back through previous episodes and was blown away by the Ilma two-parter. Great work, guys. Keep it up. Oh. So that was really sweet. So a Ruth fan and a Quantums fan all in one go. What, you, the man's got fantastic taste, don't you think? Oh, fantastic taste. And uh, I think that's one of the... Um really lovely things that's come out of when when we started this we didn't know what an awful year it would be and how would we would be sort of essentially under house arrest but the people that have engaged with us and the people who have asked to know more about us i mean i would say we're not that interesting don't worry about us we're just the mouthpieces of the story but the people that have um listened to all of our episodes and said such kind remarks it's meant a lot to me and i think it's made this year go easier and uh, i i would just say i'm really hopeful that what we're doing makes your time a bit easier it's it's give and take and yeah it's it's tough and uh our arms are around you definitely and actually i will i might as well do this now actually i'm gonna just shout out a few names of people who've been really supportive of us um uh apologies if i get any of these pronunciations wrong um but you know me and ben are enjoying a little glass of mulled wine as we're doing this so you've got to give us give us uh, a little bit of slack for that um so thank you all you all, all the fantastic mechanics fans out there craig aaron Andrew Dell, who's been a great supporter right from the start. Uh, Vonnie Hunter, Kayleen Ivan, Dustin, uh, Jeffrey Hilbard, Donnie McKee, Anne Huff, Bynake, who we mentioned yesterday. 
Uh, and there's so I've got a list of about a hundred here, which I'm not going to read. But um, you all know who you are. Well, I see it all the time when we do our social media. People who just like like loads of our photos, and when we do the photo albums and post nice comments to us. It, as Ben said, it's really kept us going this year. So uh, yeah, thank you. That's a big shout out to anyone who's listening. Um, doppelgangers. That was a really good ep on doppelgangers. Uh, we had everything. We had royalty. Uh, we had uh, famous celebrities. We had all kinds of stuff. Politicians. Uh, let's have a little listen uh, to one of the stories that featured Catherine the Great. I think this is this is an interesting one. Uh, the Empress of Russia, Catherine the Great. It said that. Um, she was woken one night by servants who were very surprised to find her in bed because they thought the Tsarina was in the throne room. So right. she gets furious about this. Is that and... like the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the real, no, the the real thr- throne. The real throne room. Yeah, it's because I haven't got one. I didn't know. Carry on, sorry. <laughs> um, she, so she decides to go and look for herself. And when she gets there, she does indeed see herself sitting in her own throne. And the story goes that she orders the guards to shoot at what she thinks is an imposter, basically. She doesn't think there's anything particularly paranormal about it. Um, And then she dies of a stroke a few weeks after that. Now, I sort of put those two stories together because, again, it feels like royal family a lot of mystique particularly yeah. when we're talking somebody as powerful as Catherine the Great it's difficult to know and again these these particular stories when I look into them it does seem like there was more than one person from her court who told the same story but I would say if you are working in the court of uh, a Tsarina you probably do whatever she tells you to do. Yeah, you're not going to argue, are you? Especially when she's shooting at things. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And it, I thought that was quite an extreme reaction. If you see your own double to shoot them, like I know that. Well, there's... but then, but then, I sorry, I'm kind of interrupting no, no. you. But the, the um, it reminded me about the man in the iron mask, though, or or the prince and the pauper. Those those two tales. It kind of. You, I think if I was royalty and I saw someone who looked exactly like me, I'd want to get them out of the way. They might have a claim over the throne because they might be a twin that you didn't know about. Or they oh, might yeah. be able to usurp you, take your throne, and, you know, you've got one of those, which one's a real one and which one isn't. So I, I, I back in those days, I'd have probably got them to shoot at my doppelganger. Yeah. I, think I, I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. That is a very good point. The man in the iron mask thing, that is a very, very interesting analogy. Yes, yes, that's fascinating. Yeah, some great stories on that Doppelganger episode. And it, it actually was something I didn't really know that much about uh, when you did it, Ben. But um, some meaty names in there from history. Yeah, some really meaty names and... Um, or, or when you look at people like um, Abraham Lincoln, those stories have become almost part of history lessons. I mean, not quite. I think it's probably unlikely that you'll get your year nine child coming back and talking about uh, the time that 
he met his him you know his self in a mirror or in the room but it, it, they are very powerful things and i think even if the doppelganger story isn't real and i'm not saying it isn't but i think what this episode demonstrates is the power of uh, political influence and the stories that you can make up to kind of help them and i would say that this sort of like we haven't covered it in our episodes because it isn't it's been covered so many times but when you look at something like the angel of mons in the first world war which is um like in a 20 second nutshell is the idea that some angels appeared on a battlefield to help british soldiers during a mission in the first world war and the whole thing it's it was made up by a journalist and then taken on by uh church groups and their uh newspapers it what you get from the doppelgangers is a really similar thing it's like you 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 have to make up your mind as to whether you believe the truth of the story and none of it is particularly unbelievable or whether there is a political motivation and i think it gives us a real interesting insight into the role that paranormal stories be they true or uh <laughs> fictional uh is probably the nicest way of putting it play a role in uh people's political machinations I've, i think i hadn't thought about that point i think that's really interesting and it as you were saying it, it made me think actually doppelgangers is almost the acceptable face that you might use for that kind of misinformation like a false flag event it's always a false flag or, or propaganda yeah. or propaganda like when we were in that episode when we were talking about um uh churchill bumping into the ghost of abraham lincoln when you look back at that time the americans weren't at the beginning all that interested in joining the second world war and it was churchill who brought them into it and there was a need to win over the general populace for support for something which would cost a lot of lives but it was absolutely imperative for britain and the allies to do it and so it makes sense that you would come up with these stories that would make people feel warmer towards that relationship and and i think this is a common theme is with all of the paranormal stories we investigate whether it is black stockings on a road to minster level in oxfordshire or abraham lincoln appearing to churchill you have to look at the underlying uh message around it and put it in the context of what was trying to be achieved at the time and it might be that there's nothing like i can't think of a political situation where ghost black stockings would be particularly advantageous to either side <laughs> but it does make sense that if it was put out 
that Abraham Lincoln appeared to Winston Churchill, I can see that people who were feeling sympathetic to Abraham Lincoln on the US side might feel more warmly towards Britain and her war efforts than before. So I think, as with everything, you have to take with you your uh, your quizzical look and everything that you learn in GCSE history to try to work out what is actually happening. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's interesting... It kind of ties on to the episode that we did after the Doppelganger one, which we're going to hear a clip of in a second, the one we did on mass hysteria. Because mm. actually, you know, what you're talking about, you know, World War Two, Winston Churchill, it's those times of stress where a lot of these mass hysteria stories that we're going to play a bit of in a second... Uh, I don't know. It, it's almost the uh, the fuel on the fire to get the mass hysteria going. Those kind of hard times or or unusual circumstances, like a war or something like that. So I think I, I think there is a parallel, maybe, from what you're saying with these. You you've got to think in that mentality in in that difficult uh, situation, actually passing off a story of. Churchill seeing Abe Lincoln, people would believe it more from what we found on this mass hysteria episode that we did. That, you know, those tough times, people need some kind of release and they'll get it from wherever they can, right? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's have a little listen to that. We're going to play a clip uh, of. So we did a whole episode on mass hysteria. So it's not paranormal necessarily. Well, I don't, actually, let's not say necessarily. It's not really a paranormal phenomena, but it, there are some kind of ghostly bits in there in the whole episode of of things that had happened. But it just shows how quickly people can get swept away with really strange events. Uh, and this one is an odd story of the Halifax slasher. Have a listen to this. So for nearly two weeks in November 1938, residents living in Halifax, England, were terrorised by a man racing around in the dark, slashing women with a knife or a razor. The panic began on November the 16th when two women arrived at a local police station, both with head wounds that appeared to have been caused by some kind of blade. They'd been attacked by a man, they told police. Five days later, a third woman ran to the police with a deep razor cut in her wrist. In both cases, no evidence was found at the crime scene. Police were stumped and citizens became concerned. Over the next week, more people were mysteriously attacked, all suffering some type of cut. By now, the public was referring to the attacker as the Halifax Slasher, and police said uh, there could be up to three different men who'd been attacking these victims. Businesses shuttered their windows, vigilante groups again formed sometimes attacking men who appeared suspicious or out of place, so very similar to the other story. Law enforcement officials put in a call to Scotland Yard for help and two detectives arrived on November 29th. So this was all going on. So you've got multiple people coming with multiple women, coming with multiple cuts saying they'd been attacked by this guy. The whole area just goes into freak out with vigilantes and all stuff happening. And then these two, you know, Scotland Yard police officers were sent. 
uh, as the investigation began, uh, the investigators started to question the victims. Their stories suddenly collapsed. Suddenly everyone began confessing they'd actually cut or injured themselves. One woman huh. said she fought with her boyfriend and upset sliced her arm because she had heard about the Halifax slasher. After nine, so there were 12 victims in total who came forward who didn't know each other. Uh, nine of the 12 victims confessed to self-harm uh, and police closed the investigation. All of those nine were charged with criminal offences with four of them going to jail. Gosh. I mean, that is an incredible story. So when Which I the- can't get my head round at all <laughs> no and did they um they presumably found out about it through a newspaper report yeah and well and the fact that it, it, it it's quickly spread amongst the community that something you know there was a guy out there who was i think probably as much by word of mouth maybe as anything else that story i mean we did a lot of amazing stories on the mass hysteria one that mm-hmm. story's really stuck with me the fact that you know these different women 12 of them came forward with stories of being attacked that you know weren't true but they didn't know each other they hadn't colluded they under you know intense questioning they admitted that they didn't uh they weren't attacked that i don't know they were just drawn to go there and say this thing had happened and they'd hurt themselves um amazing and also shocked at the fact that they went to prison rather than were helped has really stuck with me as well but yeah yeah it's i think i think the mass hysteria thing is something i'd like to look into a bit more because i think it could explain a lot of paranormal occurrences not just massive ones but you know i'm not saying that it would explain all of them but I was shocked when I researched that episode that to the lengths that seemingly normal people under immense pressure would go to and weird behaviour that they would engage in. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agreed, yeah. Fascinating subject. Um, But let's segue into the Beatles, shall we? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so we did an episode on parallel universes. The, there was a couple of fantastic bits in that. Um, ben explaining the double slit experiment in a simple and easy to understand way was just a work of genius. I've listened to it a couple of times and it's the clearest explanation I've ever heard of the dual slit experiment. So I think a big round of applause for Ben for pulling that one off because... I think I did put you on the spot and just went, I think we need something else at the end of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember? If you could just explain the double slit experiment. You've got five minutes. Off you go. (laughs) Sure. Well, come come along to my TED Talk anytime. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, But we also had another great guest, Stephen Irvin, who has been in a number of bands but was in Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. Uh, He kindly agreed because he's a Beatles expert and learnt a number of... Uh, Ringo Starr's drum moves on things like Abbey Road and stuff like that for for various gigs that he's done. Uh, He hasn't got a paranormal 
bone in his body, but he agreed to listen to a Beatles album that is said to have come from a parallel universe. Let's hear what he thought about the album. So, as, as I said, one of the reasons we wanted you to come and talk about this Beatles album, Everyday Chemistry, uh, was not for your uh, experience from parallel universes or the paranormal. <laughs> it, it was your, your... Of which I have none. <laughs> it's your musicianship. What, what, did, what did you think of the album? Um, well, I thought it was a good listen. Some things were very annoying about it. The bit that they kept reprising the tail end of every song. That was just, why did they, why did, whoever did this, why did they do that? That was just really annoying. Um, I thought, it, from my perspective, it's clearly just a mashup. That some engineer, probably somebody who works in Abbey Road, had access to the masters. They clearly had all the stems and everything digitised. Um, and all, all the tracks digitised. So, yeah, it sounds to me like it's some engineer having a... I mean, right old laugh. Yeah, that online people. Uh, I mean, you can you can find out there is a list of all the the samples or tracks that have been used on that, and it is a mixture of Beatles stuff and post Beatles. Well, it's not much Beatles stuff. Is it mostly it's solo? I think it's all past. Is it? I think. I think. I think. To be honest, I think. I think it's all stuff from their uh, solo albums. But uh, but it's interesting you said about the, the masters you know from a cd or even a digital copy of it uh you would have to have no you, you need you need to you need to have access to the actual individual recordings okay. each track the like vocals right. because the, vo- the, vo- the way it's mixed it's, it's somebody's mixed it okay you know and so it hasn't been it's not just taking a cd and, and splicing it with another cd right. they've got whoever whoever did this had access to the uh, individual recordings that's interesting I don't know about you, Ben, at the time, I mean, I'm pretty sure this album is what Stephen says it is, that some engineer somewhere has put this thing together. But what did spark my attention is the fact that you would need the original masters to do it. Yes. That's really interesting, I think. So if it is a hoax, it's a well-executed one at least. Yes, and I think it has um, the blessing of the people who are above whoever is doing it. I really yeah. do, yeah. because because perpetrating a hoax. I said this in the episode, but perpetrating a hoax with Beatles masters, you are asking for trouble if if that isn't sanctioned. You really are. Yeah. I always have this feeling that the guy, <laughs> the guy who put this thing out, who did it under an assumed name, but I've just got this vision of him listening to this at home. Why doesn't anybody believe me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's yeah, true. yeah, because actually, in lots of ways, you could the fact that I mean, he's never made a big deal of the master's point that. Stephen was talking about as far as I know he's just said it is what it is you know what I mean I guess if you were the engineer you wouldn't would you you wouldn't draw attention to that so no but yeah have a listen to that album it's called Everyday Chemistry it's supposed to be a Beatles album from a parallel universe it's a good listen even if you're a Beatles fan just give it a give it a listen there will be bits that annoy you as Stephen said but uh check it out we did uh an episode on celebrity 
hauntings either celebrities that have been haunted or celebrities that have come back to do some haunting and it was it was lots of little stories uh but the one i've picked is probably not the biggest celebrity we had some huge a-listers in there but i just love that telly savalis story let's have a listen (laughs) to that I think for a lot of our younger listeners, they won't know who this person is, but I I love this person, and I'm I I don't know, but I reckon you you will have a soft spot, Telly Savalas. Oh, the lollipop loving master of Milton Keynes, who loves your baby? Yeah, that, oh. Kojak. Kojak, yeah. So Telly Savalas was. Uh, he was a big TV star and he was one of the first detectives, really, wasn't he? One of the first TV detectives in the, well, kind of, you know, 70s yeah. detectives, Kojak. Um, it was, he was also in quite a few films. Baldhead, very famous for his bald head. And lollipop this sucking. Sto- and lollipop sucking. Um, this is a great story. So, uh, Telly Savalis, the star of Kojak, was uh, out driving his car one day. Uh, and he ran out of fuel. Uh, and then he heard someone behind him while he's tinkering over his car ask him if he wanted a lift. Uh, Telly uh, Savalis says, I turned, saw a guy in a black Cadillac and climbed in. He loaned me a dollar and I insisted I pay him back and got him to write his name and address on a scrap of paper. The next day, Savalis looked up the Good Samaritan in the phone book. A woman answered the call and confirmed the man he named was her husband but he died three years ago. Oh. Savalis said, when I showed her the paper, she told me it was her husband's handwriting. I described his clothes, and she says, those were the clothes he was buried in. Wow. Okay, that is a good story. That's a very good story. And Telly Savalis, not one to be known for going around making stuff up. No, and kind of a straight talker as well. A straight talker. But again, that is so odd. Why Why is this ghost hanging around waiting to give Telly Savalas a lift? Yeah, is it a coincidence that it's Telly Savalas or was it just, you know? So did he, did he actually get in the car and drive to, well, he presumably went and got a can of petrol and came back again? Yeah, I didn't get that bit of the story, but he definitely got in the car. So he went somewhere in a ghost, yeah. So he... It's basically a ghost stops by the side of the road to help him who's got a ghostly car, which Telly Savalis gets in. Yeah. The ghost writes something on a bit of paper, right, that Telly Savalis still has. And the the guy's been dead for three years and the widow says, yep, that's my husband's handwriting. I love that. I was going to say it'd be nice to do some analysis on the paper, but if he's only been dead three years, carbon dating ain't going to help. Yeah, unless it's some really sick prank that Telly Savalis have been planning for years. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I can think. Surely not. Ha ha, I'll go fool his widow for three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had, he had a hobby of winding widows up. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like that story, though. I thought that was good. That's really good. That's really, really good. And the thing is, it's so frustrating. Like, if that had happened, because presumably that was in the 70s or 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if that had happened today, 
like you might you'd have a camera phone on you and so you might take a photograph or you know even telly savalas himself might have done a a selfie with him going oh you know i've run out of petrol you know just to prove to people and then he'd have that photograph with her dead husband if that was who he was yeah that's that is nuts that is nuts i do i mean i suppose it's quite it is possible it's just possible that i like is it a common name is it is it possible that he well no because he he gave him the telephone he gave number. name and address right yeah, yeah, and the address. yeah. so telly savalis got the telephone number from the address ah oh, right yeah and spoke to the widow okay yeah uh, it's very hard to find a hole in that story. Yeah, I, I like that story. Apart a lot. from the obvious hole that Telly Savalas went to a gas station in a ghost car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apart from that, it all checks out. <laughs> Who loves you, baby? <laughs> that story is bonkers, isn't it? I just, I love that yes. story. Please, please be true. It's just so amazing. Oh, it's wonderfully bonkers. And and almost it fits Telly perfectly, like, it, yeah. I I was uh, surprised because we 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 obviously do our photo album um, online, and I I put out a few photos in there. And like I said, there's some major A lister, you know, names in there. Telly got probably the biggest reaction. People love him out there, Telly Savalis. Um, but I did get a message uh, from someone uh, who's called Raven Dark Shadow. I'm assuming that's not his real name. Um, <laughs> but Mr. D Shadow, this, you'll like this. He said, um, "Telly Savalis. He was a very cool cat. I used to live near him in Palm Springs as a kid. I washed his pink caddy every Thursday after school for three bucks and a tootsie pop." Well, that's all very well, but what the hell's a Tootsie Pop? I think it's an American sweet. I hope so. Maybe we should Google that. It's like probably some... <laughs> I've, I've probably said read to something like terrible. There's, there's Americans going, oh my God, he just said Tootsie Pop. What the hell is he talking about? I feel like I've heard that on like Hill Street Blues or something. Yeah, hold on. I'm Googling. Before we get people <coughs> from the States who... Tootsie Pop. Oh, it's like a... Uh, okay, a Tootsie Pop is a hard candy lollipop filled with the chocolate-flavoured chewy Tootsie Roll candy. They were invented in 1931 by an employee of the Sweet Company of America. The company changed its name to Tootsie Roll Industries in 1969. I've heard of Tootsie Rolls. It's in a Beach Boys song. I've heard of Tootsie Rolls. Yeah. It's it's like a chubba chump or whatever they call them. A chupa chup? That's that's what I tried. <laughs> what, <did laughs> what did I say? Oh, I've just got a, to see to even more trouble. <laughs> a chumpa chump. <laughs> I'm going to edit that bit out. It makes me sound like a grandpa. <laughs> I love the children with their pop and roll music. <laughs> Did I say chump chump? Chump chump, yeah. Oh my god! 
Anyway, this guy used to wash Danny Savalis' car for a Tootsie Pop and three bucks. <laughs> I love the fact he had a pink caddy. I hope that's true. I can imagine him in a pink caddy. Oh, he? It, it, it absolutely sounds he, true. It's got to be, sure right? It's right. It's, yeah, it's yeah, not, absolutely. It, yeah. Thanks, Raven, for sharing that. And I'm glad that Telly was a cool cat, as you described there, because I just... I want to believe that of Telly Savalis. He always looked like a cool cat. I want to, the next one, the clip I'm going to play for us is uh, from our fairies episode. I do believe in fairies, mm-hmm. which I love that episode. Really good. I must, I must admit, when you said we were going to do a whole episode on fairies, I thought, oh, how's this going to pan out? But I've got to say, it's probably ended up as one of my favourite episodes of the year, um, and. I posted that picture of the little, uh, well, have a listen to the clip and then I'll come back to that story. There is a photograph in existence of what is claimed to be an actual fairy artifact. And let me tell you about it. It's called the fairy shoe. And this shoe was found in 1835 by a farmer on a remote sheep trail in a place in Ireland called the Bearer Peninsula. So it measures... A, so <laughs> this report I've got is um, it's quite an old report, so all the measurements are in inches, so you'll just have to do the calculation in your head. But it's uh, two and seven-eighths of an inch long and seven-eighths of an inch at its widest. It is described as being black, and it shows where at the heel. That's the good. the farmer gave the shoe to a local doctor, and it was eventually passed to a family called the Somerville family, and it was reported to be examined by scientists at Harvard University. So, like this is where it starts okay. going crazy, and. Those scientists are reported to have said that it had tiny hand stitches, well-crafted eyelets, and it was made of mouse skin. So this... Yeah. Um, So this... That's crazy. Yeah. And I will will send you the picture. There's a a, a very old black and white picture of it sitting next to a thimble. So I posted a picture, that, Ben, of that uh, little fairy shoe that was tested by Harvard University. Yeah. Getting a lot of traction online that I think I, I'm surprised. I, not many people have seen that and we've had lots of comments and gasps at the fact that that photo exists and the background to it. Um, yeah, amazing. I can't get over the fact it's made of mouse skin as well. Yes, is particularly bizarre, and that's why I really like the topic. I think it's super enigmatic because all of the uh, first-hand experiences of people seeing these diminutive humanoids, it, 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 they're very hard to dismiss, but I really like the fact that the similarities between those and alien abductions are... Uh, are are strong yeah. and it does feel like there's more yeah there's more to this than meets the eye definitely 
Well, and also the story, the last one we did before these ones, which uh, uh, we'll play a little clip of now on the Hat Man. Have a listen to this. A, why have we got an entity who seems to go around, you know, coming from that, at least from that fashion era? And also, B, what, what still fascinates me is that the fact there's a, a, a paranormal entity can manifest clothes like yeah. i don't i i find that very weird it, not if, not just clothes though ben stylish clothes because again we've had that yeah. theme quite a lot right we've had yeah. when we did the fairies thing though like waistcoats really you know nice looking stuff ruth told that story of she saw that ghostly figure at the side of the road with this sparkling jacket do you remember yeah, she, absolutely. Yeah, Ruth, yeah. Ruth said while she was driving, and it it was like reflecting frost and all kinds of stuff. We got this guy in the fedora and the kind of nice kind of, jack, you know, long long jacket or cloak. You know, the paranormal are just a well dressed bunch, and I'd love to get to the bottom of that. I yes, they are, and and maybe it comes down to how they want to portray themselves perhaps that's well because because i'm thinking a cliche of a ghost if you think about halloween you know things like dracula and stuff aside but if you think of a ghost or a zombie it's always covered in blood and ripped shirts and looking really scruffy the actual truth of the paranormal is they're bloody dapper (laughs) (laughs) well yes except for uh, your your werewolves and such, which tends to be well, nude. Yeah, but that's because the clothing gets ripped. They're dapper beforehand. It's a bit like the Incredible Hulk. Oh, that's right. And they just get left with a pair of trousers that has been burst out of. I'm just saying we've had, you know, amazing waistcoats when we did the kind <laughs> of fairies and goblin thing. And lovely we've shoes. Ha- lovely shoes, handcrafted in mouse skin. We've had Ruth with her guy with the jacket that kind of reflects frost and all kinds of stuff. We've got the fedora hat. We've had multiple waistcoats. We've you had Keanu. We, we've had Keanu Reeves suits. We've had the a fully animated suit. Yeah, yeah. The stockings. Yeah, that wasn't Keanu. Before we get any lawyers' notes. I mean. Maybe this is all the fashion designers who passed on. Coco Chanel is really busy in the afterlife. I think. <laughs> well, that's possibly it. <laughs> so there, there you go, Ben. Have a listen to that Hatman episode. Uh, it's, it's, it should be the one before this. It's really good, really interesting. I know we picked a, a clip where we're, where it seems like the biggest thing we've learned this year is that <laughs> the paranormal are a well dressed bunch, but <laughs> there, there is some <laughs> other great stuff in that episode. And it's well worth a listen. So that concludes our look back at the episodes we've done in 2020. There are some, some great stuff in there. I think you're right. I think you said it earlier in this one. Just the variety of stuff that we've covered this year. The amazing guests we've had. Um, and, and the fun. It's much more fun than I was expecting it to be. I thought I'd oh, enjoy it, it, but we've had some really big laughs doing this. Have we not? Oh, God, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. And considering, as we've always told everybody, that 
this was a TV project that we were working on for, well, probably 24 months. And TV is TV. And they just didn't want to bring these people in. And, you know, that's fair enough. But we decided, we felt so strongly about it that we just decided to self-fund it and do this and I don't regret it for a minute we've met some incredible people we've heard some stories we would never have heard before we've heard cuckoos going off at three in the morning in empty office blocks we've demonstrated that we ourselves have the ability to remote view sites where there's no good reason to do so. We've heard from perfectly sane people about their sons being possessed by condemned murderers. It's, it's been a really enjoyable and worthwhile year. And I hope everybody who has stuck with us and, Uh, has excused us for the fact that we're new to this and sometimes we don't sound as good as we should do but we've put a lot of effort into this and we're really grateful for you sticking with us next year we'll be uncovering a whole load of new stories to make you like the whole point of this is to make you kind of open your mouth in awe tell your friends get them to subscribe and it will really, really help. Definitely. I agree with every word of that, Ben. And it's been a pleasure doing it with you as well, Ben, I'd like to say. Oh, well, you too. Um, I'm going to leave the last words uh, in this episode to uh, someone who sent us a message from Facebook, which I just love. So this is from Leslie Fazakali. He says, This really is one of my favourite podcasts. I was not paid to say this, but if you want to slip me a few quid. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you all. Thanks for uh, being part of our wonderful uh, Paranormal 2020. And we're looking forward to seeing you again in 2021. Yeah, just get me Leslie's account number and (laughs) I'll see what I can do. We'll slip him that few, few quid. Exactly. Aside, don't post it on our social channels, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Alrighty. We'll see you next year on the Quantum See you next year. Quantum mechanics.